Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. One of the biggest obstacles to getting new people into CrossFit, be it your family, your friends, or new members of a box, is they are afraid. They are afraid that they cannot do CrossFit. They're not afraid of hurting themselves. They're not afraid that CrossFit's dangerous because it's not. They're afraid that they can't do pull-ups. They can't do muscle-ups. They can't do handstand push-ups. Well, the truth is we know that they can't do it, but we know that we can scale it for them. And that's what this episode is all about, scaling workouts. Fern and I are going to discuss what good scaling looks like and what bad scaling looks like. Because trust me, I've done it wrong. In fact, if you listen to the end of this episode, you're going to hear one of my favorite stories where I actually made a 65-year-old man pass out because I didn't scale the Filthy 50 workout. That's way at the end. But throughout this episode, we're going to talk about what scaling is, preserving the stimulus. We're going to talk about how you know what to scale, meaning what the workout is, what the stimulus is, what's supposed to happen. We're going to talk about some of the more common mistakes like using the same scaling over and over. You're only as limited as your own creativity when it comes to scaling. And Fern and I dropped some great scaling options on you from the handstand push-up to the muscle-up to double-unders. We even talk about when it's appropriate to scale up, to challenge that athlete to go RX plus, if you will. Spoiler alert, it shouldn't happen very often, but we also give you a great tip in there on how to dangle that carrot to get those athletes into class, working hard, and having fun with the rest of your community. So as always, we hope you enjoy this episode. If you take one bit of knowledge, please share it with us and do us a favor. Head over to iTunes, like, subscribe, leave a review, on this podcast. It really helps. Our goal is to impact this amazing community and it starts with you. So thank you so much. Please enjoy this episode of Best Hour of Their Day. Welcome back to Best Hour of Their Day. Today, Fern and I are going to dive into scaling. I think, Fern, when people hear about CrossFit, they're often very scared. And what they're actually scared of is intensity, right? We see the CrossFit games, we see our buddies that do CrossFit, maybe your kids, and you're like, I can't do that. Yeah, I think it's one of the biggest hurdles that any CrossFit affiliate has to learn to navigate is that uh, we, people just fundamentally not acknowledging that CrossFit is scary to other people. I, I think it becomes much easier from an affiliate on on how you present information and how you represent your brand once you just acknowledge the fact that like it's scary for a lot of people if somebody's made the decision it was probably not a decision that was made easily so if someone's there we know they're scared what we have to do you know this is what i tell people every weekend at a level one and even at a level two it's up to you to show them that they can do this yeah and i think the first thing is you know, how your class is structured, how you do that. But the other thing, and we'll talk about this in a later episode, is like you have to kind of show them before they get there that they can do CrossFit and that CrossFit is not the CrossFit games. You know, that's what a lot of people see and they're like, I can't do that, which none of us can do that. So we have to figure out other ways to communicate that, you know, we all know that CrossFit is infinitely scalable, but not everybody knows that or understands what that means. Right, because, you, I mean... I remember as an affiliate owner, and you probably deal with this to this day, people will walk in, see someone doing pull-ups and be like, well, I can't do CrossFit because I can't do pull-ups. And to them, they might not even understand what that word scaling means. We have to say, no, 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 you're going to do ring rows or we can get you doing jumping pull-ups. And of course, saying most of these people couldn't do pull-ups either when they first joined, but they got there through scaling and then you can do it as well. Today's episode is all about how to scale well, but also some of the most common mistakes we see in scaling. Yeah, and truth be told, when with newer athletes, I try to not even use the word scaling. It doesn't mean what do much. What you say? I usually, I usually try to use terms like modify because people understand that. But unless you're in the CrossFit community or pretty heavy into fitness, you probably, scaling can mean a lot of things. You know, it can mean I'm scaling over a wall. Like, I mean, it just doesn't, it, you know, it's, it's the same thing we talked about from a coaching standpoint about not using coach jargon, there's certain terms that we use really, really frequently in the CrossFit community that have zero meaning to other people who are not CrossFitters. 
You know, that's a good point. As you're saying that, I'm thinking we probably need an entire episode dedicated to that because I think most CrossFitters forget there's still such a small percentage of not even the world, people that work out. And we have this jargon and, you know, we will talk about just being an effective coach, but you see coaches that are like midline stabilization. You're like, your members have no idea what you're talking about. You sound like, you sound like an idiot. Yeah, zero. They're like, you know, brace your core. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, what, what does that mean? I, I've had coaches at level twos where they say something. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't think you know what you're talking about, to be quite honest. But so let, let's dive into this because the cool thing about every podcast you're going to hear from us is I would, I would venture to say almost everything we give you, any piece of advice is because we made mistakes. Yeah, I mean, I, I've made, I've, I haven't made all the mistakes, but if you lined up a hundred of them, I've probably made ninety nine of them. How many people from your box have ever gotten rabbit? <sighs> Including me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to say in in ten years, God, maybe maybe five, including me. So. You know, and, and that's not to say they're all your fault. And I would say when I had my affiliates, probably about five as well. Now, I mean, I can tell you, like, I'm not going to say they're not my fault because there's certain things that I could have done to find out more information about that. But in, in all of those scenarios, you know, two of them were me. So that's just me being an idiot. But I can think of the other three where somebody basically withheld information. Yeah. All right. I'm on medication. I had somebody do that to me as well. Like, oh, by the way, I'm on, you know, medication. I should have told you that. Yeah, one was on a heavy night of drinking that I didn't know about. And the other one, um, I found out later, um, was a drug addict. And that was was something that was going on. So, you know, again, still my fault, you know, for not kind of tailoring some things. And then some of them... Some of at least one of those cases defied all logic with how it worked because the because of like if you if I was to give you the reps and the and the loading and the movements you would most people would just say there's no possible way to induce rhabdo from that but it happened yeah and I've had plenty of people that just kind of I would go away for a level one weekend come back I hadn't seen Ernie in weeks I'm like where you been he's like oh well I did 200 GHD sit ups and I had rhabdo I was in the hospital for well, I can't do anything about you being a dummy. and Correct. You know, so that's common as well. But the reason I bring up rhabdo is just oftentimes that's due to poor scaling. We have, you know, if we were going to break down scaling, we would say there's scaling for new athletes, scaling for injuries, and then scaling by definition to preserve the stimulus of the workout. Correct. I think that's, a, I think that's three good buckets to put scaling in. And there's pretty much the the three buckets that any coach who's stepping on the floor to, to coach a workout is going to have to deal with. So I think that's where we should begin in the sense that you're a new coach or even you've been coaching for years. How can you become better at scaling? We need to understand the definition, preserve the stimulus of this workout. That is your goal. So you have to understand what the intended stimulus is. And that goes back to just understanding programming, which we'll dive into later. But from a coaching standpoint, you have to ask yourself, what is supposed to happen in this workout? What should the score, an easy way to think about this is what should the score be? Whether it's a task priority or whether it's a time priority, what should the score be? That should tell you what the stimulus is. For instance, if it's, if it's um, Diane, you know, so 2159 deadlifts and handstand push-ups. Okay. The score should be probably seven minutes or lower, eight minutes or lower of a, of pulling from the floor and some sort of overhead press. So I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that I craft something that falls within that score, whatever the intended score is. Yeah. Okay. So let's, you know, last time we used Fran, let's use Diane. For those that don't know, 2159 deadlifts, 225 men, 155 women, and handstand push-ups. So say that's your workout for the day. We know where are most people going to get hung up in that workout? Yeah, it's going to be the handstand push-up. Either, either they don't have that volume or they or they're fundamentally just don't have the capacity to do that yet. 
Right. So saying, hey, I know you can do deadlifts at 225, no problem. We know you struggle at handstand push-ups. Three, two, one, go is not the best answer. The best in the world. I mean, I'm not the best in the world. And my best Diane time is like three minutes and one second. You know, that was a few years ago. But there are people, I also have short stubby arms. There are people that do that workout in like two minutes these days. So, you know, say seven or eight minutes is certainly a fair time. Now we have to figure out what can we do to get people to finish in that time frame. So just off the top of your head, if you, if you're teaching a class, give me, I'm going to, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Give me a couple different variations of that workout that you would probably end up using if you were the coach. Yeah, I think you need to be creative. So again, you, you and I didn't discuss this. This is me thinking about it. So for one, let's assume people understand how to scale loading. You know, I would brief this at the whiteboard is this ideally is an unbroken deadlift workout. If you need to drop it at, you know, 777, cool for a quick break, but these are not singles. You're, you should be going unbroken. Maybe the 15s are a little bit of a struggle, but again, Think of a load that if I said three, two, one, go, you should be able to do 12 to 15, but ideally push for that 21. Cool. So we've handled that load and we're assuming there's no injuries or anything going on. We know it's going to be the handstand pushup. So, you know, first thing you can do, and you mentioned this the other day in our, in our friend discussion is there's nothing wrong with saying you're going to do your 21 deads, but your handstand pushups are going to look something like 12, nine, six. Yeah, I think that's one that people leave out way too much. Yeah. Again, the best in the world, this is an unbroken sprint. But handstand push-ups are a struggle for many people. So again, I'd say if you're doing more than three sets, that's a problem. I don't want you doing more than three sets. So seven, seven, seven. And that, you know, here's some other more, you know, quote unquote creative options. You have a minute to accumulate as many handstand push-ups in each round as you can. All right, that, now I know you're not gonna be stuck there forever. Um, and, then if, and then of course, just scaling, you know, the load of the handstand pushup could be things like putting your feet on a box. Have you ever set up the contraption where you can do banded handstand pushups? Not in many, many years. That used to be like the go-to for handstand pushups back in the day, but I, <laughs> I try to avoid it these days because I think it's a bit of an ordeal to get in and out of. And I think ultimately it takes away from intensity. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and the only way these days I would let somebody do that is if I know once they strap in, they're giving me the full set. So yeah. it's not going to be like, cause also I've seen people tumble out of those bands and you know, it's like bowling pins. They're knocking everybody over, but you know, we think again, what's, what's the stimulus of this workout? Well, it's a pull off the ground. So cool. The deadlift is taken care of. And again, if there's injury, we can go dumbbell. We can go, you know, suitcase deadlift. If you have hex bars, you can use that. And then, exactly. And then for the handstand pushup, people will think, oh, very quickly, well, it's a push, push-ups. Yeah, that's certainly a push, but we're trying to be inverted here. We're trying to be upside down. So as many people as I can, I want to get inverted as possible. And basically, you know, head underneath their hips and, I find a good one for that is feet on a box or even pipe push-ups. Pipe push-ups are really tough, and, and I use those in a lot of the warm-ups or, or progression leading up to that movement before getting inverted, and I'll do that with the whole class, but pipe push-ups are an underutilized tool in my mind. So are there any options that maybe you would have thought of that I didn't just come, you know, drop right there? Uh, the only thing I would have probably added to that is just some dumbbell pressing, either seated or standing. Great um, one. Great one, in the, event, in the that, event that somebody can't get inverted, um, that's what I'll go to. Yeah, and that, and that's a great one because you're still getting that press. You don't have the inversion of the body, but it's the press in the same plane. When you do that, do you do it primarily seated or standing? I mix it up, which is a which is kind of a, a different topic altogether. But the scaling options that you use this is a good way to think of it should be just as varied as your programming in general. So I, I like to avoid using the same scale twice in a row. Twice in a row, meaning you do so handstand yeah, pushups. The last time we did handstand pushups, I did pike pushups. Okay. Well, this time we're either going to change it to pike pushups on a box or you're going to do some sort of dumbbell press overhead. But I like to try to change the type of scaling option that we use for the same movement. Okay, so let's dive into some mistakes. 
number one would be always using the same scaling. But when you say that, how do you keep track of what you've done? Is it simply, you know, you remember what you've done? Do you, do you and your coaches share some sort of spreadsheet? No, I don't think it has to be that elaborate. And I think we can just, we can go back to the last podcast with Austin where he's, you know, that tangible piece of information that he said was just, hey, you should be talking to all of your athletes prior to saying go. That's one of the questions that you'll ask them, you know, because, because realistically, you, that's a conversation that should be had. Hey, what was the last skill that you did for handstand pushups? Is it, re, is it reasonable for me to remember 175 athletes and their scaling options? No. Like, yeah, the onus, some of the onus stuff has to be on the athlete there. So just ask them, what was the last thing you did? And then if, if you're, got, if you want to change it from there, change it. You know, and, and, the, and the cool thing about that too is some of that will be predetermined because again, it goes back to the stimulus of the workout. 2159 for Diane, you know, let's stick to handstand pushups because it's one of the most commonly scaled movements. We know in that workout, we're looking for, you know, potentially unbroken, but it's okay if you break it a little bit versus handstand pushup workout with five per round. Now I want you to go unbroken. So that might change the type of scaling we do. Correct. So you know, the, the, the pressing one of a heavy press might be ideal for Diane because, you know, you give me 35s and you say sit, you know, and, and press these, I might have to break at 15 versus if there were fives, I can get inverted on a box, no problem, you know, thinking about for your athletes. Well, the other thing to consider with regard to handstand pushups, and I don't want to dive too far down that rabbit hole, but is so the normal range of motion for a barbell is considered extreme range of motion in gymnastics. What I mean by that is if I take a barbell from the front rack and then press it overhead, that would be considered full range of motion for a barbell. But for handstand pushups, bringing basically that hands to the head and then pressing out, that would be considered normal. And then basically going to a deficit is now extreme range of motion. So there's some things you can play around with there too with, uh, with a barbell and just have them basically bring the bar from the overhead position, bring it down to their forehead or their eye level and press back out from there because you can get some a little bit more heavy loading, a little bit heavier loading there with a more accurate representation of the full of the range of motion that they would have in a regular handstand pushup. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of things you can do there. Exactly. I think the biggest point that we're making over and over right now is don't be limited to the same scaling options. And part of that is you need to develop as a coach. If you haven't explored different, I mean, we probably named one or two that you've maybe not thought of. Maybe you need to Google the handstand pushup contraption that I spoke of, or you haven't thought about doing that barbell press to your head, like Fern just mentioned. Point is, you're only limited by your creativity. Yeah, and, and your job as the coach is to find the scaling option that is appropriately difficult for that workout for that athlete. So you're gonna have to do some sifting in there. You're gonna have to find out, oh, should this athlete be standing for a strict press or should they be seated for a strict press or can I have them standing for a push press? And a lot of that, we'll, we'll talk about how to facilitate that later in, in, in a different episode about timelines and lesson plans and stuff like that. But that's your job. You have to go in there and find it. And part of it is how you plan your class and the other part of it is by having a conversation with the athlete. Yeah, and I think, you know, you said it well by bringing it back to Austin. Talk to every athlete, and that's something I try to do. I have my whiteboard brief, and I know my athletes, I, I tend to coach the same class, so I know my athletes that are going to go RX, and the ones that I know need to scale, I kind of walk up to them and ask what they're thinking about. Like you said, what would you do last time, and, and start to have that conversation. Yeah. Any other common mistakes you see when it comes to scaling? Um, with the... So obviously the first one is doing the same scaling option every time. The other one is uh, what we would describe as progressive scaling. So um, that would, for those of you that are not familiar with progressive scaling, what that would look like would be pull-ups is just an easy one to describe that with. So let's say it's a higher volume pull-up workout and an athlete goes to failure on the pull-ups. And then rather than making a better decision of lowering the total volume or making some changes um, in the movement potentially, what you might see a coach do is say, okay, cool. Now we're going to go to jumping pull-ups and you're just going to finish the set. And then maybe you're just going to, after that, they fail and you're just, all right, you're going to go to negatives or vice versa. You know, you go from pull-ups to negatives to jumping pull-ups. 
all while stacking up what is probably an inappropriate amount of volume for the athlete that we're talking about. Yeah, and that goes back to that rhabdo discussion we had earlier. That's a quick and easy way to develop rhabdo because you're just breaking down the musculature way more than it should be, you know, over and over again. And that's not the same as someone's in the middle of a workout and we realize the wheels are falling off, their form is going, dropping the weight. No, those are two separate things. You know, this progressive scaling has some pretty distinct characteristics and when you see it you know what it is you know but let's let's talk about that you and i work at the level ones every weekend and you know we do the day one workout and i don't want to give it away no spoiler alerts but oftentimes there's thrusters in the workout and our goal is to preserve the stimulus which is an unbroken workout which means we have to find those people that bit off more than they can chew and the first step in doing that for us is usually, all right, guys, give me a set of five and we watch it. We watch, you know, eyes on just about every athlete to make sure they look like they can handle it. And we've also yeah. set some parameters. Can you do 12 to 15 unbroken? Will it be fast? Will you be able to do that again and again? But what's that like at the box level? It's one thing at a level one seminar where people are trying to learn and we're the head trainers. Do you find yourself doing that? And do your coaches do it at CrossFit Rife, actually stripping weight or telling people they need to go lighter mid-workout? Very rarely. Uh, and that's because I think we do a better job of catching those mistakes prior to. I, I consider it a coaching mistake if we have to do that mid-workout. Now, it does happen in the level one just because there's a limited amount of time. You know, we've really never seen these athletes work out before. Um, and there could be some things that are a little bit misleading during the warm-up from an athlete's capacity. Um, but in our gym, very, very rarely, it does happen occasionally, but it is definitely not the norm. What would you encourage? So someone's listening to this and maybe they're not quite as good at the whiteboard brief as we are, or they've, you know, inevitably some athlete will just think they can do it. How do you recommend going about that from a coach's perspective? So you see, Let's, it's, you know, let's be honest. It's typically a dude. Johnny's over in the corner. It's Diane. He's rounding his back. He looks like his vertebrae are going to shoot out of his ass. What do you tell, what do you do to Johnny over there without, because let's be real. We have to still keep it the best hour of their day. He needs to come back. He's paying us money. How do we handle that? Well, I, I don't know that there's an easy or best way to do that, but if, if, if the athlete looks like what you just described, the weight's got to come off the bar. Now, okay. preferably, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think everybody knows that. How, you know, my question is, how does Fern, and I'm happy to, you know, give my answer, which probably isn't much different than yours. It's like, how do we as a coach approach that athlete? Because we've, I think we've all been there. And there, there have been times where I'm like, oh, man, that looks really bad, but I don't want to ruin his day. But he's going to ruin his, his week if he hurts his back. For sure. And I think one of the things that, that will have to happen there is like you might have to catch them during the handstand push up and basically just take that weight off and just maybe you give them a goal. Right. So I don't want to take some I just I don't want to just take away in that scenario. I want to take and then give. Right. So if I'm going to take weight off of the bar, I want to now give him a goal and say, let's say he's just finished around a 21 and I'm just not super happy with that from a coaching standpoint. I'm going to strip that weight off when he goes over to do the handstand push ups. And then I'm going to tell Johnny, hey, when you come back to this, I want an unbroken set of 15. But I've stripped the weight down to something that I know is going to get hurt around 10 based on what I just saw. But he'll do the next set unbroken. Uh, but I'm going to take and give at the same time. Yeah, I like that. You basically didn't give him an option because he was over on the other movement. You know, you strip off of 45, say we got to 25 on the bar. But then you also laid down a challenge. Now he feels like, okay, he's got something to strive for. And and. I do think sometimes you're out, like I've seen it in their eyes where they're like, thank you. That was a mistake. I appreciate you changing that for me. My ego wouldn't have allowed that to happen, but I appreciate you doing that for me. Yeah. And then if, if they're a little disgruntled about it, I've never had this happen. I've never had an athlete go put the weight back on. No, so, I agree. Neither have I. And, so I don't think that that is going, and nobody's going to have a, I don't think anybody's going to have a, uh, an altercation with you mid-workout they're going to finish so then from a coaching standpoint it's your job you're going to have to attack that one head on you're going to just have to have a go like go have a quick conversation with that athlete 
and their guard's going to be down. The workout's going to be over. They're going to have, you know, expended that energy that they were, you know, if they were having a bad day or something like that. And just tell them why you did it. Just tell them why. And, you know, and that really sums up, I think, like, you know, this podcast could have been one episode for five minutes, and it could have been just, like, communicate. That's it, yeah. right? Like, we don't, we're done, you know, best hour of their day is over. We don't need to continue. Because if you just communicate with your athletes and you show them you're coming from a good place, like, really, Johnny, I don't want you to get hurt. And, you know, especially, again, have that conversation after. They will appreciate what you've done. Yeah. Now, so let's go back to something a little bit more practical, which is like, how do I avoid that scenario, right? Because that is the un, that is the uncomfortable, awkward scenario that no coach actually wants to be in. But you might find yourself in there, and now you have to make that that tough choice, which is like, I got to strip the weight off the bar. Here. Right. If you if you're in that scenario, something has already gone wrong, is what you're saying. Correct. Right. So I'm a big fan of. Uh, so you you do your you do your lesson plan and I, I will dial up what I call a test round. And that test round is not like a full round of the workout, but it is, it is a, an appropriate rep scheme of let's say it was, you know, Diane, I'm going to have the athletes probably do something like right before we go, Hey everybody, I want you to show me, you know, seven and seven, show me seven deadlifts and seven handstand pushups. And then we're going to take a break after that. And then we're going to go to the bathroom and get water and all that stuff but I want to see seven and seven from everybody before we go. That's when things, that's when you get to make sure and double check that people are making the appropriate decisions. Cause if somebody has to take seven and turn it into four and three, that's a problem. So I want to see that before the workout starts. Yeah. When you're scaling the warm up, we have an issue. I, I love that. I, you know, I refer to that as the wad buildup. I do that in every class and you're right. It, it sets the tone. It shows, you know, you as the coach, you can get eyes on most people. And the other thing, you know, if you're listening that that does really well is it shows people where they're moving and it eliminates people going to the same space or you're like, Oh damn, I didn't realize this bar was that close to that person's face. Yeah. So you're really, you, you know, you're eliminating a lot of those problems and people are, you know, understanding where they're going to move, especially, you know, Diane's a pretty simple one. You have bars in the middle you're probably using the wall, but you have a workout with three or four components. Now we see that people are going to be safe and they know the direction and they're moving. I, you know, and personally, I know some people are like, wow, I'm, I'm going to get tired. Seven reps of each. That's a lot. I feel better. It's, you know, to me, it reminds me of wrestling. We used to call it like getting your, your first lungs out, like blowing your lungs out. Then you feel better during the workout itself. So if you've never yeah. implemented that, I, class, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I agree. And I also, it's a good talking point. They're like, oh, I'm going to get tired, to which my response would be, you should not be tired from doing seven and seven if you're going to hit this correctly. Yeah, that, that just shows me you're not ready. That just shows me that you're not ready or that we're making a bad decision. And the other thing that you can do when you give that test round is tell them how the test round should go down. You know, for instance, if we were going to use Diane, you would tell people, hey, guys, we're going to do seven and seven. The, uh, that should be unbroken. Whatever your scaling options are, that should be unbroken. Because if we're going to do the set of 21 and sets of seven, which is as far right as we want to go from a breaking it up standpoint, they should be able to do that right there fresh. Like there should be no problem getting that done. And the second somebody breaks that up, to me, that's an indicator that we might need to change. For the most part in this scenario, it would be the handstand push-ups. And I'll say, hey, we had to break that up into four and three. So let's try to go... Um, 15, 12, 9 for the handstand pushups rather than 21, 15, 9. Yeah, and you can take anything to the extreme. I once saw James Hobart make the participants do 21 unbroken thrusters before Fram. And he was like, whatever, they should be able to do it. And, it, you know, was that a bit extreme? Certainly, but it proved the point. You know, those people well, that couldn't do it. He's not right. wrong, right? So, like, if you're going to hit Fram the way it should be, doing the set of 21 shouldn't you know i'm not gonna say i want to do that before a workout but it shouldn't take it out of me it, it shouldn't really change my time if i get a four to five minute break after that yeah and that's the, the key what we're saying is it's not all right you did your warm-up go it's three to five minutes like go take your nervous pee you know change your hand grips whatever is going on that's kind of the the last stop before we get to the workout but i always give a few minutes right there and that's you know again 
one of our next episodes will be about timelines. That's implementing that into your timeline. Cool. So are there any other things that you do in your classes to, to kind of a cover scaling, but then B make sure that people are hitting the appropriate scales? No, you know, I think we discussed it a couple episodes ago in the timeline. I'm sorry, in the whiteboard brief, a lot of that's happening in the whiteboard brief. And then if you do a successful whiteboard brief talking about the stimulus, then also talk to your athletes, you're probably about 90% there. Um, of course, you know, we've discussed primarily scaling for fitness, meaning they're not quite fit enough to do it RX. There's obviously going to be injuries and newer athletes and everything that we said is going to hold true, preserving the stimulus, you know, so one of my pet peeves will be like, all right, we're snatching and someone's shoulder hurts and they're like, well, you're going to clean. No, let's figure out how they can snatch. Is it one arm? Is it lighter? Is it kettlebell? Like you got to think about what's the goal of this movement ground to overhead, not ground to shoulder. So, you know, scaling for injuries, which again is a, oftentimes a one-on-one -on -one thing. And then newer athletes are very similar to everything we just discussed. You know, one thing you mentioned earlier before we got on was kind of your bus stop analogy. And I'd love to hear you talk more about that because that's really, I think, how we get that last 10% to scale right. Yeah, so the, the analogy is, you know, I've got an, I've got an, an end destination, but not everybody's going to make it to that end destination. So let's use we use something a little bit more complex, like a muscle up, for instance, in that muscle up, there is, um, you know, there's a lot of things and think of it like this, these, these bus stops or these stops would be different progressions to get to the full movement. And the idea is I'm going to demonstrate what, you know, what the end goal is. Hey guys, at some point we would like to get everybody to a muscle up, but we're going to walk everybody through a progression. This is going to do two things. It's going to get the athletes that do have the skill set warmed up and ready to go, but also it allows me to basically incrementally find out where everybody else's sticking point is, and then I can kind of leave them at that stop or leave them at that point in the progression. And I'm just kind of dropping people off along the way. So for the muscle up, you know, first thing yet obviously we need to do is like let's say it's a ring muscle up, um, and let's say that first thing I need to do is establish ring support. Well, right there, that's going to tell me if somebody can't do ring support, like I need to think about, are we doing a kneeling muscle up? Like, are they going to be seated in a box or in a rubber band or something like that? Do they even, should they even be in the rings, quite frankly? Should you know? they even be in class? Get out of class. You can't yeah, do ring. Get out of here. You can't do ring muscle up. Your process not for you. Um, so, and then what you're doing is you're just dropping people off. And as you advance, you're like, hey guys, if you struggled with that piece of the progression, you're just going to stay right here. And this is going to be your scaling option for the workout so let's um let's break this down because i think this is a good way to kind of tie it all together but also really leave the listeners with something tangible i think we've you know laid out a lot of things that hopefully opens their eyes and gives them things to think about but let's take the muscle up and really dive into your your bus stop approach and if you were coaching it say you know, so people listening can say, okay, I can take this now and actually implement it in my next class. You're, let's let's change, choose a challenging one even. Let's take Amanda because there's not only a challenging gymnastics movement of the muscle up, there's a snatch. So we have an hour to get there. It's 9.75. You're coaching the muscle up. Take us through, you know, don't sit here and coach us, but t take us through what that muscle up approach would look like in that bus stop where you're starting from scratch and the end goal is to get people to the muscle up, but you're dropping them off along the way. Yeah. So the first thing is we'll set up the rings. I would start everybody in the low rings, even my more advanced athletes. <clears throat> and largely what I would do is if you guys are not familiar with the progression that we use in the level one, I'm not saying it's the end all be all of progressions, but it's a good one. So we're going to start with ring support from there. We would go to a ring dip from there. We're going to go to a kneeling muscle up. And then after the kneeling muscle up, we're going to go to different, advanced or advancing towards the full muscle up, up and probably have some people do a seated muscle up on the floor like an l-sit muscle up before we put them in the high rings so as i'm going through that i'm looking at athletes move and i'm looking at how much they're struggling with for instance the kneeling muscle up or how or how easy it might be and i might be going through as as we go through the 
the ring muscle up and the ring dip. And I see there's certain people that are struggling with the ring dip and I'll just tell them, Hey, you're going to use your feet and you're just going to jump up to position of support, but keep going through the progression as we go through. Then when we get everybody to the, to the kneeling muscle up, muscle up portion of that, I'm watching everybody go and I might make a couple of different decisions on the spot where I might say, Hey, you're going to do a kneeling muscle up, but I want you to walk your feet forward or I want you to walk the rings up or have somebody that's kind of on the cusp. And I'm like, Hey, listen, I want you to, uh, we're going to do the muscle up from a seated position, but I want you to strap this band in. So you're going to get a little bit of assist on the pull, or I might have somebody go like, you're going to do this version, but you're going to do an else muscle up. And then I have my people that have got muscle ups, but maybe nine, seven, five is a bit much, you know, they're, they're going to be doing nine singles at which point I'm just going to change that rep scheme. Like I'm watching him do it. I'm like, Hey, if you can't string two together, we're not doing nine because that's going to take forever to get to nine. So we're going to do like six, four, two or something like that. Um, or six, three, one. So, um, that, that would be like a really truncated version of what would happen during that portion of the specific warmup. Right. But I think one thing you said that hopefully people grasp is everyone is doing a form of a muscle up, you know, too often muscle ups become all right, four pull-ups, four dips. And I think that's improving now back in the day, it was always that. And what we fail to recognize is cool. You're working on the strength. You're not working on the technique. We didn't develop a fall strip. We didn't develop the transition. You're working on a pull-up and dip, which is great, but every, you know, muscle up is pulling yourself from below to above an object. If you're not doing that in your scaling, you're not scaling appropriately. Yeah, I think uh, I think this is a, an old an old Sherwoodism because <laughs> he's got some gems when he's talking about stuff like this. And his his thing was he said, "Hey, listen, a cat and a dog don't make a giraffe, and you do, <laughs> and you and you doing pull ups and dips is not the same as a muscle up. Like those are aspects of the muscle up, but it's not the same thing. And and a lot of people going back to progressive scaling would use be like, Hey, you're going to do for the muscle ups, you're going to do three pull-ups and three dips. And that would be a version of progressive scaling, um, in order, in order to do that. But ultimately we're leaving out the important part of that, which is the false script and the transition, which is where a lot of people struggle. So, and this is, and I think what's important about this is this scenario, like, don't, don't bullshit yourself. Like this is a difficult scenario. It is hard to find an, an appropriately difficult muscle-up scale for a class of 18 people for all 18 of those athletes. Like, I am not going to sugarcoat that. That is probably one of the more difficult things that you will do from a coaching standpoint that I can think of. Is if you got 18 athletes in the class, is finding something that is appropriately difficult that still fits the build of muscle-up for all of those athletes in the class. If you can do that, you are nailing it. Yeah, and that's why it's easier to just be like, hey, pull-ups and dips, not do exactly what you laid out and take everyone through that progression, dropping off along the way. You know, and if I were going to give a second thing that you just said to make sure it's clear is, as a coach, don't be afraid to cut down the reps of the gymnastic movement. I think that's a very overlooked, easy scaling option. And if you're not sure what that should look like, just think, you know, Amanda's unbroken, 975, right? Maybe two sets. So, okay, how many sets can you do? Or how many reps can you do in a set three? Like you said, we're going six. So you can do three twice. Then you're going to try to go two and two for the four, unbroken on the twos. Don't hesitate to scale one movement in reps, but not the other. Yes, and I think that that is something that's crazy effective too. And I think, and, and I want to, yeah, just, just do that. Don't be afraid to do that. All right. So last thing, last question would be, we talk a lot about scaling and oftentimes we think about scaling down. Is there an appropriate time to scale up? For sure. And I think that's with some of those advanced athletes, whether it be loading um, or whether it be rep schemes or anything like that. You know, I think some of that stuff is overlooked for some of my athletes who are a little bit more advanced and, and need an, a little bit of an extra push. I, I think there's a perfectly appropriate time and place for that. As long as it fits the bill of they get a score that looks like everybody else's. You know, right. so a lot of athletes want to scale up because that just gives me more time to rest because the barbell's so heavy that I can't do 
whatever 21, you know, a, a perfect example would be, you know, well, I'm going to do Diana 275. Well, if you can't do 21 deadlifts at 275 unbroken, then that's not an appropriate scale up for that workout. Yeah, I think you have to earn the right to scale up. Back in the day, I, you know, I don't think it's as common again anymore, but people would be like, I'm going to go heavy Diane, like you said, 275, 315. And we're like, you're doing that because it's easier because you're going to do singles. Your heart rate stays down. You know, our friend Sarah Wilkinson refers to that as like the barbell cha-cha. Like yeah. you're stepping to it, you're stepping back. I, I used to see that a lot. And it's, it's more so ego. Like people just don't want to work hard. But there's a time and a place, right? You, RX plus, if you will, is a good way to keep your better athletes motivated in class. And, and I, think, I think it's important. So like, for instance, uh, and, and we can kind of, I don't want to say end with this, but we, and I got this from Pat Barber actually, um, because we used one of the workout um, programming for a while. It's not a bad idea, and .com started doing this as well, where they have advanced, intermediate, and beginner. But it's not a bad idea to just write three variations of the workout because what that does is it, it just people naturally gravitate to one, and then you're going to have a lot of people that fall in that gray area in the middle. But my suggestion is if you're going to scale up some of those kind of RX+, plus, those workouts should be written such that most people have no desire to even look at it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it should be, it should be what I like to turn it. It should be aggressive. Like somebody should look at that and say, Oh shit. Like that's gross. Like I'm not doing that. Like that's how that should be written. You should not write RX plus as something that's enticing. Like it should be, it should be written in a manner that is, uh, causes a lot of like people to avoid it. Like we, you know, we have RX plus and I mean, it, it's more of a stretch goal for a lot of people. And occasionally we'll, we'll have something that's everybody can do it. But most of the time it's written at volume or loads that people are not even, even going to consider. Yeah. And it probably shouldn't be something that's up there every day. It might be something you throw out there two or three times a week, dangle that carrot. Like you said, make it aggressive. So people don't want to, but every so often they, you know, bite off more than they can chew just to give it a go. But not a daily occurrence unless you have an athlete that really, really is, you know, high level. You know what we didn't touch on uh, and shame on us. Like, so, and I'll let you touch this one. What are the, what are the three big ticket items with regard to scaling? Like what should athlete? how should people think about that? The, the, just the big ticket items would, as far as from a coaching or athlete perspective, from a coaching standpoint. So like, Hey, what are the three things that I scale that I can scale on any given workout? Oh, well, low time and reps, right? So we're, we're trying to preserve the intended stimulus and low time and reps are what's going to impact our intensity. So the goal is how can we keep intensity high? Well, we can change the load, make it lower. We can change the time domain. You know, there's some options people don't think about on, on that front as well. You know, and I think with any of these podcasts, you and I can probably talk for hours. So I'm going to try to limit that, but Let's go to another example. Let's go to a 400-meter run. So many times people are like, well, I can't run. You're going to row. You know, and can't is a, is a weird word because I say I can't run even though I'm fully capable of running. But sometimes it's like, okay, a 400-meter run, let's call it 90 seconds to two minutes. You're going to get out there and you're going to, you know, do shuttle runs for 90 seconds while everybody else is running 400 meters. Now you're going to do a 200-meter loop instead of a 400-meter loop. We all know when you run far enough that your coach can't see you anymore, that's when you walk a little bit, right? So I want to make sure those people are always in my eyesight. I can always see them. So we can always change those things based on, you know, time. And then, of course, reps, which is very similar to that. We just do less reps, things that we've discussed a few times so far. Anything else you would add to that? No, I think it's a big one. Uh, I, I do want to dive into some specifics here uh, because I think this stuff is valuable. So let's talk about some, one that always, in my mind, people just, I think they screw this up uh, endlessly. How do you scale double unders? Whatever variation of, of a workout you want to you use for that. You know, and that's a great one. It's like muscle-ups. And I, and I like, you know, I, I, I forget the exact question I, I used to ask. I, 
I, I wish I could remember, but it was similar. I probably stole, stole it from Pat Sherwood. Like, how many giraffes make an elephant or something like that? People look at you like you're stupid, but I'm like, exactly. Single unders don't make double unders. You know, and there's double unders often become you're going to do double the singles, right? So let's call it Annie, 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, double unders and sit-ups. Most of the time, people will say do double in singles. So you're going to do 100. And, he, and here's where, here's why I hate that. I get really frustrated with it. If you're listening, the people that need to scale double unders typically, not always, are less fit. So not only can they not do this movement, but now we're asking them to do something longer because 50 double unders is a lot faster than 100 singles. We already know they're going to be our slower athletes, but now we're asking them to do more work. So I very rarely do that. Even when the box pushes, like that's the scaling option for the day. And I just coach there. I'm like, nope, we're going to do the same number. But some other things that I like to do is, Okay, well, if it's 50 double unders, that should take me approximately 30 seconds. You're going to do double under attempts for 30 seconds. Or some people can, you know, as you're developing, can do a handful in a row or single double, single double. And I'll say, okay, you're going to do 50 jumps, but 25 of them need to be double unders. Or even you're going to do double unders for one max set, and then you're going to finish with single unders. No, all again, I can continue to go on, but the point is it's not always double the number for single unders. No, I, that's a good one too. I, I brought that up because I think that's one that people just mail that in. And they're like, oh, you're just going to do singles. And I'm like, well, he's got double unders in, in some in some capacity. And yeah, I see you do them. Yeah, and so when I brief these workouts – uh, this is kind of the way I would cover any scaling options. And this is kind of the way I like to approach it. And I just tell the athletes up front, if we have a skill, we are doing that skill. We're just going to scale the volume. If you've got double unders, we're not doing single unders. I don't care if you've got one double under every 10 attempts, like that's what we're doing. All, all I'm going to do is figure out like how long that takes or how many of those you could do in, in roughly the same amount of time somebody would do 50 double unders. And that's now the number. But you're not gonna, you're not going to get better at a skill by not doing the skill. Exactly, and you know it's a funny story because I was giving the what is fitness lecture at a level one. It happened to be the one that Roz took, my you know future wife. She was taking her level one, and I'm giving the what is fitness, and we often use double unders as the example of you know neurological adaptation. And I don't remember this, but she says I tell her to stand up, and I was like, can you flick your wrists? And she was like, yes. I was like, can you jump up and down? She says, yes. I was like, well, you could do double unders. You just need to practice. And it's the same here. You know, if we never make our athletes practice and both in and out of class, they're never going to develop those skills. Yeah. So always relying on a scaling option, be it pull-ups and dips or single unders is not how you get your athletes better. And that's why you're a coach. Yeah. And one of the things you can do for double unders, I think a lot of people neglect this is, I can work on the double under without a rope. So I learned this, I learned this about maybe like a year ago and they're just called, we call them penguin jumps. So you just jump up basically as high as you can and you tap your thighs with your hands twice at the apex of the jump or the apogee, if we're going to use that word. Apogee. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen that and I like that a lot. You know, the, and again, goes back to what you've said earlier. You just don't be limited come up with something. Maybe you can come up with something even better and let us know. But if you're not developing that skill, you're not developing that skill. You know, one thing that I wanted to mention from earlier, and it's sort of to do with scaling and sort of not, when we were talking about those RX plus athletes, you know, from a, to give you guys another nugget that you can take from this, it's, hey, sometimes a cool scaling option, it's not quite scaling, is start class, and then make your better athletes start a minute or two later. Ooh, that way they got to hustle. I like that. It's good. Yes. So it's not, you know, it's not scaling, but all of a sudden they're trying to catch up. And, you know, that might prevent them from trying to go heavier. Like, hey, Johnny, today, I know you can probably go a little heavier than RX, but rather than that, I want you to try to win this workout, but you're going to start a minute behind. So you really got to step on the gas. I like that. 
Cool. Well, I'm glad I taught you something as well in this episode. There you go. Um, so, I'll, you know, I was thinking about it as we're talking. I, I have a great story that I'd like to, to wrap this up with. And it was just to really exemplify terrible scaling. <laughs> I can't wait. I can't so wait. When, I, when I first started CrossFit, it was, you know, th- we didn't know this stuff, right? Even the level one back in the day didn't dive a ton into scaling. Um, so I got back from my level one and just, just about everybody that came in, regardless of age, gender, fitness level, was doing things RX. And my one-on-one clients became my first athletes. And one of my favorite one-on-one clients, his name was Dave. He was my attorney. He helped me get the box set up. And I was like, he was, he was, you know, for 65, he was relatively fit. He had two very young kids, like, in, you know, less than 10. So he was a dad of kids in their 30s, but then also toddlers. So he was a young spirited 55, looked very fit. But I took him through filthy 50s. And filthy 50s, I, I'd say, there's a 13-minute time out there from someone like Chris Spieler, but a, but a realistic time is, hey, let's try to be about 20 minutes on this workout. Needless to say, we're about 50 minutes deep into this workout. Oh, my minutes. God. And I'm just, you know, he couldn't do, you know, so we get towards the end. He couldn't do the doubles. I think we do. I, I'm pretty sure I made him do twice, the, you know, the singles. So he probably does 100 singles, you know, finishes, drops his rope, and he's like, his eyes were like glazed over. We go walk outside. I was like, let's get some air. We're in Albany, New York. Um, it's in the fall. We, we have a seat on the steps of the gym. We're making eye contact. His eyes roll back into his head and he passes out. And, you know, I'm freaking out. It's like one of the first times I've coached. He passes out. I'm, you know, call 911, get 911 there. And... He comes to, and he's okay, but he's in his 60s, so they take him into the, you know, they put him on a stretcher, put him in the ambulance. First thing he says was, I'm going to get you for this. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, he's, it's half joking, but I also know Dave. He was serious. And then he goes, sign me up. So, point is, it was terrible scaling. It happened to work. Dave still does CrossFit to this day, but I've learned a lot over the years, and I will do my best not to have someone pass out in a workout because I was a shitty coach. <laughs> so I think the moral of the story there is, uh, is I'll, I'll wrap this up. Nobody's good at first. Err on the side of caution. Make people earn the ability to move up in difficulty and intensity. Well, well done, Fern. Thank you for summing that up. So <laughs> hopefully you guys listening got something from this. Fern and I can talk for hours about any topic, so we try to streamline it. But if you do have questions, feel free to, to hit us up, whether it be about specific scaling options, things we said, or if you have ideas that we didn't cover and you'd like to hear us cover, definitely let us know. You can follow us on Instagram at Best Hour of Their Day and, of course, our personal handles and all over the Internet. So great episode on scaling, Fern, and we'll be back uh, later in the week, next week, to talk more about becoming the best coach you can be.